I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom's financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. I'd like to welcome you to the series called Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom. This is the first of three sessions that are intended to help you obtain godly counsel and wisdom before you make any major financial decision. This first session is titled, How to Obtain Godly Counsel and Wisdom. In this session, I'm going to focus on teaching the biblical principles from Scripture. In the second and third sessions, I'm going to provide you with numerous real-life case studies so that you'll understand the practical application of the biblical principles. So very briefly, uh, the objective of this session is to learn where and how to obtain godly counsel. And the key biblical principle is this. God admonishes us to obtain godly counsel, first from Him personally, secondly from His Word, the Bible, and thirdly from godly financial advisors. I will go into the details of each of those three uh, sources of biblical counsel um, shortly. So here's the first question. What should be our first source of counsel and wisdom? What should be our first source? Think about that. And have a look at Job 12:13, where it says, To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding is His. Here's what I find. Too often we believe we have to figure things out on our own, but this is not God's will. God wants us to seek His counsel on any important decision. In 1 Kings 22:5, Joseph had said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. God will also provide his wisdom if we ask in faith. Have a look at James chapter 1, where James said, If any of you lack wisdom, of course we all lack wisdom. We don't know the future. We don't know what the best financial decision is. We can make some, some judgments based upon our limited understanding, but God knows the future. God knows everything. He knows all the details. He's all-knowing. He's present everywhere, and he's all-powerful. So we always need to ask God for his wisdom. So what does it say in James? If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. In other words, when we ask God for wisdom, we need to trust him that he's going to speak to us, direct us through his word, his spirit, maybe through a godly financial advisor, however, but he is going to give us his wisdom if we ask for that. In Proverbs 9.10 it states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So I can say this, uh, you can see that key there, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'd say this, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, that is knowledge of the Holy One, you will never be able to access true financial wisdom. It just won't be possible. You can learn and apply the biblical financial principles, and certainly if you do that, you'll be better off. I've seen that hundreds of times in the last 40 years. But you're never going to be able to really discern what God wants you to do and really obtain God's financial wisdom unless you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that regard, I, I want to share with you uh, how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ uh, as, as uh, directed by God's Word, the Bible. And here's what it says. First of all, God loves you and wants a personal relationship with you. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. However, our sin has separated us from God. The, the scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
So here's the result diagrammatically. Man's on one side. There's a big chasm between us and a holy God. And our sin separates us from God. Many people seek God the wrong way, such as good works, religion, philosophy, and morality. The scripture says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And here the Bible's talking about spiritual death. That is separation from God for eternity. So there it is diagrammatically. Many people try to reach, reach God through good works, religion, philosophy, morality. But none, are, none of our efforts can, can, can um, bridge this gap. I know myself personally, before I became a Christian on April 12th of 1981, that's when I accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, I, I believed that I was a good person. And so if there was a heaven, if there was a hell, if there was a God, I'd make the cut. I figured I was good enough to make the cut. But that's not, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, there's no one in this earth that isn't a sinner in one form or another. And, and uh, the only one that was holy and perfect was Jesus Christ. Uh, so all of us have our weaknesses. All of us are, have our faults. And in order to earn your way to heaven, you have to be holy and perfect like God. And so that's when I realized in April of 1981 that no, I wasn't holy and perfect. Nobody is. No human being is. But God has provided a, an answer. And here's the answer. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus answered, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And Romans 5, 5 12 is a great scripture. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here it is diagrammatically. You can see man on one side, God on the other side, and, and Christ represented by the cross, his death and resurrection on the cross. Through a relationship with Christ, if you accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and also ensure that you spend eternity in heaven after you die. So my question to you is this. Are you willing to do the following? Admit that you've sinned. You're not perfect. You're not holy and perfect. Admit that. Be willing to turn from your sins and obey God. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you. That is, accept Christ as your Savior. John 3.16, that well-known verse, is, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or have eternal life. And so what the scripture is saying is if we, you put your faith and believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, you can have eternal life. And then the next item I'd say is in prayer, are you willing to invite Christ to come in and control your life and direct you through the Holy Spirit? That is, accept him as your Lord. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he will with me. The idea of eating was to have fellowship. And so what the scriptures got Jesus is saying there, if you'll open the door of your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to come in, God will, will, will fellowship with you. You'll have a personal relationship with the God of the universe and you'll be able to um, discern exactly what God wants you to do. And you'll, you'll be able to obtain incredible wisdom on managing money and all other decisions from the God of the universe. So here, I'm going to read this first, and then I'm going to lead in a prayer in a, in a second. Here's a suggested prayer. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I am willing to turn from my sins. I now invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior. I am willing by God's strength to follow and obey Christ as the Lord of my life. I'm going to pray right now, and if God's been pulling, tugging at your heart, if you feel something tugging at your heart, and you feel a sense, a uh, desire to do this, that's not me that's convincing you. That's the Holy Spirit of God knocking at your heart, encouraging you to let the Holy Spirit come in 
and, and guide and direct you going forward. So let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm willing to turn from my sins. I now invite Christ to come into my heart and life as my personal Savior. I am willing, by God's strength, to follow and obey Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, here are some of God's promises. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So if you've accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, you're a child of God, and you have the privilege of enjoying a personal relationship with the God of the universe, and as needed, you'll be able to discern exactly what God wants you to do. You'll be able to obtain God's wisdom, not earthly or man's wisdom, but God's wisdom, the wisdom from the God of the universe. I'm now coming back to the topic of obtaining counsel and wisdom from God. So the first part is to first obtain counsel and wisdom from, from God himself through your personal relationship with the Lord. Um, and I would say this, the second one I'm going to describe in a minute is God's Word. If you do have a personal relationship with the Lord, then you should study God's Word for His financial principles and spend quality time with the Lord in prayer, sensing God's directive. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. God may not speak to you audibly, but He can certainly speak to you through His Word. Psalms 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. He can speak to you through His Spirit. If you've accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit lives, lives in you. God can speak to you through His Spirit. He can give you also a peace or a lack of peace about a proposed financial decision. And um, th there's no substitute for that. I think of Isaiah 48:17, where it says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. God's willing to direct us if we, if we allow Him to. Jesus also said in John chapter 10, the watchman that is God the Father, opens the gate for him, that is Jesus Christ. And the sheep, that's you and I, that have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The analogy is this. If someone calls you on the phone with whom you have a close relationship and they just start speaking, they don't, they don't say who they are, they just start speaking. It could be someone that you know extremely well you'll immediately recognize their voice. They don't have to say who they are. Question, do you recognize God's voice when he's speaking to you? Do you have a sufficient close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that you're going to recognize when, the, when God is, is speaking to you and God's trying to direct you? Again, he can direct you through his word, through his spirit, direct you through a peace or lack of peace. He can direct you through uh, biblical counsel. He can direct you in a number of different ways. So, there's the question. Do you, do you have that close relationship with the Lord? If you don't, I'd encourage you to try to develop your relationship uh, further with God. Read His Word daily. Pray. Ask Him to speak to your heart, speak to your mind. God can plant thoughts in your mind, but be careful. The enemy Satan can plant thoughts as, as well. And as Scripture says second, in uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 16, we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Um, so, you know, just um, just just... Just pray and, and develop your relationship with the Lord. Also, of course, attend a good Bible-believing church that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ. So the next question is this. What's our second source of counsel and wisdom? What's our second source of counsel and wisdom? Psalms 119.24 says, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalms 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. 
Um, I think, I'm going to stop and just look at that scripture, Psalms 119.105 for a minute. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have found so often, and if, if you have a relationship with Christ, this can happen for you as well. I can read 50 or 60 scriptures, and suddenly God through his spirit will highlight two or three verses from the Bible, two or three of them, and I know that that's God taking his word and his Holy Spirit and, and giving me direction with respect to a particular decision. Um, it could be financial, it could be any other decision. The principles I'm teaching today about obtaining biblical counsel apply not just to finances, they apply to other areas as well. So, and here's another key scripture, Joshua 1.8. I mean, our second source of counsel, wisdom, what is it? It's God's word, the Bible. And what does is, what is Joshua 1.8 say? Do not let this book of the law, that's the Bible, depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, God's not promising you're going to be super rich or anything like that, but God has promised in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said if you put him first, he will meet our needs. Um, I'll be specific. Jesus said, so do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So God's saying, hey, what we eat, drink or wear, our needs, God will meet those needs. So. God's saying his second source of counsel is his word, the Bible. And God's word, the Bible, contains actually 2,350 references on money and material things. So there's lots of wisdom in there uh, on finances. What's amazing is this. There's actually 500 verses on prayer. It's about 500 verses on faith. And there's 2,350 on money and material things. So God, the Bible's just loaded with wisdom on how to manage money. What I find, and by the way, out of, out of those 2,350 references in the Bible to money, only about three, maybe 5% maximum apply to giving. The other 95% deal with other financial topics, which would include things like we're talking about today, obtaining biblical counsel. Um, most people know about tithing and know about giving, but they don't know about the, the other 97% of what the Bible says on finances. And, and what I have found, yeah, most, most Christians violate God's financial principles, often unknowingly, because they don't know what it says. Uh, they just haven't dug into what the Bible says on finances. Incredible wisdom there for you. And I can say from uh, 44 years in public accounting that when people learn and apply God's principles in managing money, they're, they're going to be better off long term. It, it's, it's, I've seen it over and over again. They will be better off long term. If they have a personal relationship with Christ, they're going to be able to discern exactly what God wants them to do. And they're going to be blessed even more. Now those blessings, by the way, don't always come in financial terms. The blessings could be in terms of good health, good relationship with your spouse, with your kids. Uh, it could be in terms of having a very effective ministry. Uh, God can bless in ways that are non-financial as well as we demonstrate that we can manage something like money and material things according to his principles and his will. So here's a question. What are some examples of people violating biblical financial principles? The first one I can think of is having no savings for an emergency. In Proverbs 21.20 it says, In the house of the wise there is a storage of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Most people in our country and around the world fall into the foolish category. They spend all the regular income. They have no savings, so when an unexpected expenditure comes along, a car repair or whatever, or if, if someone's out of a job, they're in serious financial difficulty uh, or they're, forced, they're basically forced into debt. It's biblical to have some savings. I recommend six to nine months worth of savings as, as, a, as a cushion because you never know what, what's, what the future is going to bring. The second one is having no financial plan. In the parable of the tower in Luke chapter 14, Christ admonished us to plan ahead. 
And the practical way to plan ahead is to develop a budget. Or you don't, you don't like the word budget, call it a, a spending plan. Develop a spending plan or a budget and then follow up and implement that. Most people don't have a workable budget. The third one is taking on too much debt. Proverbs 22.7 warns when you take on too much debt, you may become a servant to the lender. And today in our society, with easy credit, credit cards, lines of credit, 0% financing on cars, it's so easy. It's so easy to get into debt. And so uh, most people in our country and around the world take on too much debt. Another example is co-signing on a loan. Proverbs 11.15 says, it's a dangerous thing to guarantee payment for someone else's debts. Don't do it. In other words, this is a principle, not a law, but generally speaking, you're best not to co-sign on loans. I can tell you from experience, 70 to 80% of the time when somebody co-signs on a loan, the co-signer has to pay for it, not, not the person that borrowed the money. Uh, why? The financial institution is asking for a co-signer because they don't think the borrower is creditworthy. So generally speaking, we should not co-sign on a loan. If you want to help somebody out, one of, your, one of your kids or something, maybe you should give them some money or lend them some of your money um, so that, uh, that you can afford to lose if, if they don't pay you back. Another uh, example of um, violating a biblical financial principle is getting involved in something that you do not understand. An example would be an investment that they don't understand. Um, there's lots of examples I have. If you go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org, there's three one-half-hour shows on um, the biblical principles of investing. Another example of uh, people violating biblical financial principles is a lack of contentment, as demonstrated by being unwilling to live within the income that God has provided. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we shall take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Another one would be a secular mindset with respect to money and material things. That is having a, um, an, an issue with, with just, having, just thinking in a, in a secular fashion. Most people, even most Christians, think in, in a financial area, in a secular mindset, because they don't know what the scriptures say, and they haven't really meditated upon God's word to allow God through his word and his spirit to change the way they think. A lack of understanding of God's Word, that's a good example, we've talked about that. Not obtaining biblically-based advice. So often people uh, go ahead and make decisions on their own and they don't obtain biblically-based financial advice, and that's what we're talking about today. Or making a hasty decision. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And number 11, believing that restructuring one's debts solved their financial problems. Boy, this is a real common one. I've seen this so many times where people, let's say they run up the credit cards, then they go get a line of credit, they pay off the credit cards thinking that they've solved their financial problems. They didn't solve their financial problems. They just treated the symptom. The underlying problem is they ran up the credit cards because they were spending more money than they were earning. And so what will happen is they'll, they'll get a line of credit, pay off their credit cards. They might do that several times over several years, and then eventually if they got a house, they'll get a second mortgage on their home. and pay off that. And so re restructuring one's debt generally does not solve the financial problems. Often the financial problems are that they've been spending more than they're making, usually because they've been violating biblical financial principles, perhaps unknowingly. And what I find is they've got to learn God's word on finances. They've got to develop and implement a budget to make sure that they spend less than they earn so they have a surplus each month in order to save for future needs. Uh, I can say this. Most people do not manage their monthly cash flow well. They're, they're, not, they're actually spending a little more than they're making and accumulating debt. Uh, we need to track our expenses, develop and implement a budget, make sure we spend less than we earn in so we have a surplus to pay down debt and save for future needs. 
I can tell you this, decades of experience, most financial problems can be avoided by following God's financial principles. Now I'd like to talk about our third source of counsel. Remember the first source is God, the second is His Word. The third source of uh, biblical counsel is, is a godly financial advisor. Here's what the scripture says, Proverbs 15:22, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. In Proverbs 12:15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. In other words, before you make any major financial decision, obtain biblical counsel from a godly financial advisor, ideally even more than one. What are God's directives in the following scriptures? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. I can say this, a non-believer, they simply cannot discern God's specific will for themselves or for anyone else. A non-believer can give you some good practical financial and investment advice, but they'll never be able to access specific direction from the Lord, which is only available through His Holy Spirit, which lives within those, within Christians who have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. So one of the directives is we should obtain godly financial counsel from someone who, who knows Christ as Savior and Lord and, and um, has a close relationship with the Lord. I'm going to give you the definition of a godly financial advisor in a minute. Here's another scripture to consider. Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. In other words, seek, seek godly and biblical counsel. Um, so to, and that's, that's what we need to do, to be blessed by God. And you need to uh, make sure you get biblical counsel from a godly financial advisor who understands God's word on finances. Because in my experience, a lot of financial advisors who are Christian do not have much of a knowledge of God's word on finances. They're like most other people. They know the 3% of the scriptures that deal with giving, but they don't know the other 97%. And so often they're giving uh, advice, financial advice, based on their secular training. So you need to find a, a godly financial advisor who gives advice based upon, based upon God's word. And um, ideally, should you get counsel, especially on a major decision, like say you're thinking of buying a house or buying a car, get some biblical counsel from, from more than one source. And then um, discern God's specific will, will for you. Proverbs 14, 15 says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. I think one of the things we have to be really careful of is when you get advice from a salesperson with respect to their product, they're going to be prejudiced. They're going to think their product's the best, or whether their service is the best, and they're going to also probably going to get a commission, and they're going to want to sell you on something. You need to get independent, uh, godly financial advice. So here's a question. Can you think of some examples where a non-believing financial advisor would likely give advice that is contrary to God's Word? What's, what's, uh, and sometimes even Christians can do this. Um, what, what's, what's common financial advice that's contrary to God's Word? I'd say this, a non-believer would not understand a Christian's desire to give to God's work and build up treasures in heaven. Uh, I've seen actually some of them actually discourage this. Further, the world says smart people use other people's money, hence many non-believers would encourage you to use debt freely and also to borrow to invest. But the Bible warns of the dangers of debt, Proverbs 22.7, and instructs us to save for future needs gradually over a long period of time. Proverbs 21.5 states, Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. 
So here it is. The third source of godly wisdom and counsel is to seek the advice of godly financial advisors, ideally those that are independent of, of the financial decision you're going to make, and ideally at least one, maybe two or three. Here's my definition of a godly financial advisor. A godly financial advisor would be a spiritually mature Christian who understands and applies God's financial principles, has a close personal relationship with the Lord, has the necessary practical financial knowledge, and habitually puts the interests of his clients first. That's really important. You can even get Christians that know something about God's word on finances, uh, but if they're selling a product, often they can be prejudiced. So they, you, need, you need someone who habitually puts the interests of their clients first over, the, over themselves, over their own commissions. In addition, if you're married, I recommend you seek the counsel of your spouse. In Genesis 2.24, it says that husband and wife are to be one flesh. And uh, I also believe that God, through His Spirit, can give His peace or lack of peace to an objective spouse with respect to a specific financial decision. Sometimes people uh, can, before they make a decision, can be prejudiced one way or the other. But uh, an in a spouse who's independent of the decision, can uh, God may, may be able to speak to them through His Word, through His Spirit. So certainly seek the, the counsel of your spouse. If you're single, I'd say speak to a Christian friend who understands God's Word on finances or obtain counsel from a godly financial advisor. Again, at least one, maybe, maybe a couple. Ideally a couple if you can access that many. And after obtaining counsel, pray and ask God to give you His wisdom. Back to what we talked about at the beginning. Ask God to give you His wisdom and ask you to give you His specific direction. Again, I love Isaiah 48, 17, where it says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and who directs you in the way you should go. So here's a summary. Before making any major financial decision, seek counsel from God Himself through your personal relationship with Him, through God's Word, and from godly financial advisors. I'm a real believer in meditating on God's Word, and here's the uh, scriptures I recommend you meditate upon for this session. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And that's Proverbs 15:22. And this one, it's a bit long, but it's, it's powerful. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whatever he does prospers. What a, what a great promise from the Lord as we do things his way. So listen, that completes um, session one of the three sessions on the topic of obtaining godly counsel and wisdom. In sessions two and three, I'm going to provide several real-life case studies that will help you understand the practical application of these biblical financial principles. And I'd encourage you to watch the other two sessions or listen to the other two sessions. They're available on our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. Again, copelandfinancialministries.org. And if you'd like to learn more about biblical financial principles on other topics, such as God's wisdom on debt, how to get out of debt, budgeting, secular versus a biblical perspective on money, Investing God's Way, Biblically-Based Estate Planning, Stewardship, and several others, then again, be sure to our, go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org. To learn more, go to copelandfinancialministries.org. For example, you can watch the two other sessions on the topic, Obtaining Godly Counsel and Wisdom, or download a free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System, or sign up for the Financial Moments and access numerous other resources, the majority of which are free. Again, copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance. 
If you would like to learn more about God's Word on finances, be sure to check out copelandfinancialministries.org. Again, copelandfinancialministries.org.